What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hartford. I'm very excited about today's episode. It was a fantastic episode with Donnie Mabe, the Director of Sports Performance at the University of Texas. Donnie has been at Texas for about 23 years now and and in the profession for about 27 years, and also a father of four daughters. Um, And so he brings years of experience to the table as a coach and as a father. Um, he discusses the, the importance of staying power and being in one place for a long time and how that definitely has made his life easier when it comes to balancing the demands of family and work. He also goes into great detail about what him and his wife do in order to maintain a strong, stable marriage throughout all of this while having four kids, while working a lot. You know, he started out with Texas football, which was obviously high demand, high hours. And so he goes into great detail about things that he and his wife did to make sure that they maintain the strength of their marriage, you know, whether it be couples retreats, whether it be planned date nights, whether it be actually scheduling in their time in the family calendar, along with all of their daughter's activities, which I actually thought was a very simple, but uh, excellent idea for them. Um, So yeah, Donnie dives into a lot of detail with that, which kind of brings a little bit of a new flavor to this podcast, which I really enjoyed. So I hope you guys enjoy it as always. Thank you so much for the, for the support. And here we go. All right, welcome back to the Dad Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hartford, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Coach Donnie Mabe from the University of Texas. He is currently the Director of Olympic Sports Performance, and he has been at Texas for 23 years. He has also been a father for 20 years. He now he has four daughters. Um, and yeah, I don't know how you, you know, manage that with the job. I think this is the first dad that has, that has four kids that has been on the podcast. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. Uh, so coach Donnie may, why don't you go ahead and give us a, a lot more detailed introduction of yourself professionally and both personally. Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Uh, so excited to be on the show today. And, uh, I love just the title of this, this podcast and family is definitely uh, very important to me. And so, yeah, just a, a, a brief kind of introduction. Um, this is actually my 27th year in this industry of strength and conditioning. That's including my internships and everything. So it's, I can't believe it. the years are getting up there. I still feel like in many ways, like I just got started yesterday. Uh, so I still feel really young in the profession. Um, you know, as far as you know, as, as far as my family, I've got, I'm married. Uh, my wife's name is Karen. Uh, we'll be celebrating 25 years of marriage this May. So we've been together for a while and she's kind of been on this journey with me in strength and conditioning, the pressures and the, the long hours and the, the late nights and early mornings and, you know, not at home at times. She's dealt with that as well. And then we have four daughters. Uh, my oldest is 20. Isabel's 20. She'll be 20 tomorrow, actually. Uh, Anna's 18, Evelyn's 16, and I got a, uh, Olivia's 15. So four very passionate, spirited, however you want to call it, uh, <laughs> just very distinct uh, personalities. Way, you know, it's crazy how four uh, beautiful girls come from the same set of parents are so just the, so oppositely just different than each other and just the way they think, the way they they talk and dress and interact, but in many ways, you know, they all work together well too. So at times, at times it, it doesn't work so well, but so, yeah, that's kind of the, the history and the, the introduction of our family. We both, uh, Karen was raised in, in Georgia 
born and raised in Georgia. I was born and raised in Tennessee. So we definitely got that Southern roots uh, thing in there but with, with both of us, the Southern living and a lot of the etiquette and kind of how we were raised values kind of coming out there. So that was, that was a brief introduction. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And so you started at Texas back in 1998, correct? Correct. Yep. Awesome. And so obviously I'm sure throughout your, um, many, you know, two decades in the profession, right? I'm sure things have evolved and changed, but I want you to go back to when you first started at Texas, right? I think you were at Texas for three years, whenever you first had uh, your first daughter. And Mm -hmm. if you could think back to your mindset, when you learned that you were going to have a family, um, you know, was there any sort of like freak out moment? Like, Oh, okay. All right. We're having a family now. And, And was there any sort of hesitancy about being a strength and conditioning coach, uh, with the family at the time, you know, um, just any sort of hesitancy of, okay, can I do this? Can I manage this job with a family? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, kind of back it up just a little bit, kind of the, you know, you, we always talk about what's your why. So before I even decided, you know, I was going to coach, um, I had to face this question of, well, do you want to be a sport coach and be on the field or on the court, or do you want to be in the weight room? And so I was kind of had this kind of decision to make. And the, the deciding factor was for me was the strength and conditioning um, profession was one I knew that I could have more time with my family because I had seen sport coaches, they traveled, at the, you know, we're, in, we're still in COVID right now. But before that, I mean, sport football coaches, they, they recruit year round. Yeah. they're on the road all the time. They're never home. Whereas I knew at least with a strength and conditioning career, I, I could still coach impact and influence athletes, but come home at night. And I wouldn't have to be on the flights going everywhere because I, the way I grew up in Tennessee, my family was very, very dysfunctional when I was, was, was when I was young, my parents divorced when I was seven. And that moment of my life impacted and influenced kind of who I am today Meaning, you know, I always like to say sometimes the things that cause you the greatest pain in your life will become a passion for you, you know, become an assignment. And so I just from an early on age, I knew that at some point if I ever had, you know, good uh, talk, a beautiful woman into marry me, which, you know, I did with Miss Karen, the good Lord blinded her is what I always say. But <laughs> but, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to have a big family. I wanted to. I wanted to have a family that was close, that we were, we were, we weren't perfect by any means, but just that we, there was a home of unconditional love and trust and support and just a chemistry. And I knew I couldn't do that if I, if I wasn't home. So I wanted to be a dad that was present, that was home and involved. And so strength and conditioning was one of the main reasons why I went into that profession so that I could be around my family more frequently. And uh, that's kind of what, what led to that. Gotcha. Okay. And so whenever you were um, starting out at Texas, what did your job look like at that time? You know, obviously Texas now is probably one of the larger sports performance uh, programs and departments in in division one. And I think that's kind of where things are trending, obviously, you know, a lot more coaches on a staff nowadays than probably back in the late nineties, early two thousand. So just for some reference, what did the department look like? How many teams were you in charge of back then? Um, How many other coaches were, were, on the staff what what was that what what was that like back then yeah it was crazy you know I I still talk about those days um you know I was 28 
I, you know, came in with Coach Mac Brown and uh, Jeff Madden, worked football primarily. But, you know, back then, and there's a few teams like this, few schools, but everybody worked football. So we had football, and then we would schedule football. So football would train, like, we would have to be up there at, like, 5 a.m., 5.30. At the, we had to meet at this gate, work, walk up into this weight, this weight room because they were renovating the, the, the normal weight room, the big weight room. So we all worked out. Worked in DLA. There's a little, just a tiny little hole in the wall. I think, I think uh, Earl Campbell trained in that that gym back then. But uh, you know, you, it was that old of a gym. Yeah. But uh, so we'd meet and we trained football in little groups up till about two o'clock, and then we'd have two running groups with football two thirty and three thirty. And so you either had to train if you had Olympic sports, which I always did. You had to train teams in the morning you know, where it wasn't as many people in with football or you had to train them once football was done. So my, my hours were nuts, dude. I was up there at, you know, up at four or four 30 in the morning, you know, first groups at six, you're setting up at five fifteen, five thirty. you know, you're not getting home till, you know, last group with Olympic sports is over about six 30. So you're done hmm. six 45. You're walking out of there, you're home, you know, you know, seven, six, depending on the night, six 30, seven 30 o'clock at night. And you're doing that, you know, you're doing that six, six days a week, you know, you you got football games, you travel, you travel with that. Mm-hmm. So my first kind of my first two or three years at Texas were grueling. I mean, I was hardly ever home. You know, I remember there was um, there was one day we, Karen and I had started having children. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. But with our first one, I asked my wife one time it was in November. I go, babe, what's wrong? I'm like you seem sad or it's like, did I do something wrong? She goes, she goes, she looks at me. She goes, no, I'm exhausted, hon. I'm like, you're never here. I'm, I'm pretty much a single parent. And I just like, my eyes got big as saucers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it. Cause I was so focused on my job and just making, you know, making that job work so I could build my career and bring home a little money that I had at the time. Um, man, it was, it was hard because, you know, Karen was home taking care of the babies and I was doing my job up at Texas and we were sometimes like two ships passing in the night. So early on, it was very, it was very grueling and very hard on our marriage and on our finances because I didn't make as much back then. So yeah, it's tough. Now, now what adjustments did you, did you have to make after that conversation with your wife? Cause like you said, that's, that's an eye opening moment to be like, Oh wow. Okay. Like, cause again, whenever I think uh, as training conditioning coaches, we're obviously very invested in our work. We bring a lot of emotion with our work as well. Cause I think we care about doing a great job. And like you said, when you're spending maybe 16 hours a day, 12 to 16 hours a day on the job, obviously that's taking up the majority of your time. Right. So what, what was that like for you to have to kind of pull back? And, and as we say nowadays, get that 30,000 foot view of everything and kind of assess mm-hmm. what adjustments did you have to make to maybe your schedule or how you were approaching work after you did have that conversation with your wife? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, and I got this from uh, Bill McCartney. I don't know if you know Coach Bill McCartney. He was the head coach, at, football coach at Colorado for years, legendary coach. You know, they won the national championship in 1990. But he said something one time about marriage, you know, and coaching. Um, he said one time, like, what he's talking about him and his, his wife, Lindy, who she, she had passed away several years ago. Um, you know, when he was coaching, it felt like he was always, like, on offense or and his wife was on defense. They never really worked together. 
as a marriage. Like he was, his whole job was right to get paid, to get these people to work together as a team and be successful and score points and be, be this amazing group of individuals accomplishing his goal. But when he looked at his own marriage, he realized he wasn't working with his wife as a team. And so that really, you know, that really, really kind of hit him hard. And he it just changed his whole mindset and demeanor of like how he would, he started paying more attention to his wife and her needs versus like just his job being one track minded. And so I think, you know, the, the other part to that, you've got where, where I forget where I heard this at coach, but I just don't believe in my years of coaching and parenting and being married. There's no such thing as like balance in coaching. Yeah. I think everybody talks about work-life balance. I don't know that that's even, yeah. I think that's a myth. I think it's unattainable. But I, here's what I do. Here's what I've seen. And this works because I've done it in my own family and life. There will be seasons. And this is how I made it work, coach. There's going to be seasons during whatever sports or team you work with. You're going to be out of balance. You're not going to be home much. Right. And think of it like a like a board with a like a triangle underneath it. Right. If you put that right in the center, it balances. But I think there's there's seasons where that pin that 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 pendulum or that pivoting point may shift over here where you're at work all the time, you know, and, and, and you, your family just kind of gets neglected, but there's going to be a part of that season where you can shift that pendulum back over here where you don't have to be at work as much, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to, you need to shift it back over where you're getting away with your family and spending more time with them. And you're, you're almost like you're not neglecting it, but work's not a priority. And so I think those are, those are ways you can navigate and, and kind of manage and lead your family as a coach uh, so that you don't just wreck your family, destroy them and, and just blow it apart. Cause I've seen it. I've seen families get blown apart because the husband or the, the wife they are workaholics. They're never home. And then there's an affair that happens or, or they just, you know, they, they just drift apart and end up getting divorced just for they're, they're, they've lost their friendship. And so I think you've got to strategically find ways uh, to make your family a priority in different seasons of your coaching uh, career. And, that, and it's very capable. You're very capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not early on because you don't have a lot of say. But as you get a little older, you can start having a little bit more planning and autonomy. You can do some of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's something that I've heard uh, before from a coach with, with a family. He said, it's a seasonal approach. Right? He was like, think about it just, yeah. just like the sport itself, right? Like the athletes, when they're not so say, you, you know, we both work with volleyball. In season, they're on the court all the time, right? Out of season, they're not on the court as much, right? So it's that same thing. In season, you're at work a ton. But whenever you're not in season, take the advantage of that and be home more often, right? Maybe not schedule workouts on the weekends if that's something you had to do, right? Or if you're traveling on the weekends in season for matches, again, be home on the weekends when you ha- when you can be. So that was something that I, I really, really appreciated hearing because I thought, you know, I was always just looking for ways to add value as a young coach, right? And so with that, you always just want to do more and more and more, right? But at the same time, you got you got to look out for yourself, right? You got to look out for your for your family, like you said. So I I really like hearing that and hearing that seasonal approach. Um, now, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say you can you know little things like, I mean, you know, you don't have it doesn't have to be so difficult, but you can you can uh, you know some mornings not going as early, take your kids to school. You know, uh, we would we would do this probably every other week when the off season. 
I'd have my Karen would come up with the girls and we'd all have lunch on campus together. I mean, there's ways to be creative, to get more time with your family than just, you know, thinking, oh, I, I can't be at work. You know, getting them involved in some stuff you're doing, too, is another way to kind of kind of overlap that and build some memories and, and experiences and bonds with your family. So there's different ways to do it. You just got to think about it, make the time for it, plan it. Yeah, I want you to dive a little more into that because back on episode three, I was talking to Jason Palora, who's now the director at Purdue for Olympic sports. And that's what he was saying. He's, you know, like you said, we always talk about this work-life balance, right? But that kind of, that kind of assumes that you're separating work and life, right? But whenever work is a high demanding job, it actually pays to kind of merge those in a way. And so he always said, you know, he loves whenever he has his two boys, his two oldest boys come to the facility, right? And he'll set up the plyo boxes and they'll run around while he's trying to get work done or they'll come watch women's basketball practice when he's, when he's working with, with that team. So whenever, you know, we talked about you having your first, right? But you have four, okay? So, you know- yeah, yeah. How, how did you make that merge happen as you started to, as your family started to grow? Um, and what did that look like? Were you bringing them, you know, you mentioned having lunch on campus, but what were some other things that you and your wife did to create that merge between work and life rather than always trying to separate it? Yeah, I think anytime you, I think anytime you can travel out of town, whether it's speaking, competition, those can be weekends, man, where if you, if you, depending on the team, the season and timing, your wife can go with you or some one of your kids can go with you. And man, what turns, you know, it's a work trip, but man, that turns into like this quality time. I mean, I remember my oldest is going to be 20 tomorrow, but she was, uh, was it 2016? We went to the national championship with volleyball and played Stanford. She went to that trip with me and it was just me and her that whole time. We were there for about a week. And we grabbed coffee, had talks, walks, you know, I mean, it was so much fun. And she still remembers that. And I think, you know, I think as a coach, just like you're creative and how you strategically plan and periodize a workout, why can't you do the same with your family and how you create these experiences? You know, uh, Chip and Dan Heath have a book that highly recommend. It's called The Power of Moments. Mm. And it really doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of money to create these powerful moments in your, in your family's life, in your marriage and in your kid's life. If you'll just be creative and just maybe um, make it, make it a little bit inconvenienced on yourself, or maybe it's a little bit more of a, you know, now I've got some funny stories like where the, when, when the kids were younger, they would go to the bowl trips with me. And I mean, I remember we went to the holiday bowl one time and one of my one or I think one of my kids was up all night, coughing and snotting and throwing up and you know and then we one of us ended up getting it and so we brought our family to the hotel room and man those were the most unrested evenings I've ever had in my life but we were all together in that hotel room that was some of the hardest work I did because I was up in the night and we had to work during the day but you know what? It was a sacrifice we made so that our family, you know, could have a good time on those trips. Mm-hmm. And it, those are the first, usually like two or three nights. And then when it visit, would, would usually like kind of like, you know, level out and be fun. But again, it's, it's more work. It's mm-hmm. harder. It's inconveniencing. It's, it's a little bit more stressful for you as a dad and as a, as a, as a, as a family man, but I fully believe it's worth it. Uh, our girls still remember a lot of those trips and times together and, We've got some cool pictures and uh, memorabilia and just memories over the years. It's made our family who we are today. So I think you got to do that. You got to tr- be strategic with it. 
Yeah. And, and that speaks to the, the culture at Texas, right? Amongst the staff that yeah. you have that opportunity to bring your family and have your family around. Now, now in your role as the director, and I'm sure you had, you know, different directors throughout the years, you've worked for a lot of different coaches. How do you build that type of family culture amongst the staff, right? So now, you know, you've been at Texas for 23 years, you have four kids, but say there's a younger coach that is now having their first kid or is a new father, right? How do you ensure that the staff culture revolves around family so that that young coach knows, okay, well, hey, I know that this is going to be busy. I know it's going to be stressful, but I can bring my kid into work, right? I can, I can take them on this trip. How important is that to create that culture amongst the staff in order to make, you know, for, for your department specifically, University of Texas Strength and Conditioning, a much more sustainable environment to work? I think philosophically it starts with, you know, if you're a director or a leader in any department, whether it's small or large, I think philosophically that to me, this is the way I think about coaching because I've just seen it. I've seen both extremes. If I am a better husband, I'm a better coach. If I'm a better dad, I'm a better coach. And I believe just like there's a transfer of training and tra you know, lifting, running, mobility, whatever, there's a transfer of character and core values and influence into these young athletes' lives because they're trying to figure that they're trying to find their way too. So I think we we you know so my question the answer is you know I think you need to model it first. And the, I always tell our staff if if we run into something with family, I'm like, dude, go take care of your family. This is your family is way more important than anything we'll do up here. Yeah. And that's just how I think because I've seen. I've seen the other side of devastation if you don't make that a priority. Mm -hmm. And so I see what happens if you don't, if you get, you know, if you get your priorities out of whack, right, where, man, job's way more important than, than your family or loved ones, uh, that's going to that's gonna cause some, some irre possibly irre irreparable damage down the road. And so I think you got to model it. I think it's got to be part of your philosophy of, because I've worked with coaches at like, Dude, you can't miss work. You better be here. You know, there's no way you're doing extra time with your family. I've, I've been with coaches like that. And I've seen how they live their life. And it's just not something I have any desire for. Uh, they don't seem fulfilled or happy. You know, I think at some point, you know, what I, what I see in coaches, at some point, like you've got all those rings and trophies and banners. But like when you're done, are you going to be like, man, you know, I forget where I got this from, but like, are you going to wish you had more rings and trophies and you didn't have time with your family and you, your family's all blew apart because you wouldn't make time for them? Is that really all those championship rings and all that stuff's worth it? And I just, for me personally, as a core value, that's just, it's, you can have, you can do both. It takes longer and you have to be, you have to plan and, and, and be a different kind of leader. Um, but, but it is possible. It's very, very capable of doing that. You don't have to do it that way. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic point. And as you've been at Texas, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I think what I saw a trend in college athletics of strength coaches being much more a part of the uh, kind of holistic sports staff. And what I mean by that is they would go to more practices. They would travel to more matches, um, you know, be on the road a lot more. Right. So I think that's good in terms of uh, professional uh, opportunities, right? Because now I think be, strength and conditioning being a bigger part of performance is always a positive, right? But what comes with that is more time on the job, right? So I remember when I was at Maryland, you know, I was traveling all fall. 
fall with volleyball and then all spring with women's lacrosse. Right. And I can't imagine doing that while having four kids. Right. So my question is, how do you set the expectations, right? You just talked about kind of setting the culture and the value with your staff internally as the director, how do you set the expectations with the sport coaches in order to make sure that your strength coaches aren't being overworked, right? Or aren't being over-traveled or, or kind of, um, I guess the, the generic term kind of spread too thin with the increasing responsibilities that they may have with where the profession is trending recently with this more high performance model. Man, that's a, that's a really, that's a tough question. I have a couple of kind of thoughts on this one. I think one, uh, I think as, especially if you've got a younger coach listening to this or even somebody seasoned, I think you've got to learn to respectfully and professionally learn how to set boundaries with these head coaches. Um, I think now I'm a, I got a caveat to that. I think, I think it's all contextual too. If you're taking over a brand new team, they got a brand new head coach. You may want to be at a lot more stuff than normal at first mm-hmm. because they don't, they may not want to keep you. They might, they, you know, they don't know who you are. They don't trust you. They didn't, you know, you, you know, and I think you've got to kind of go the extra mile there to build that connection with that head coach first. Cause I think you need to, with, th- with those, those kind of scenarios, I really believe you've got to build, you've got to build this like familiarity with this coach and learn how they think, how they like things done. And they got to know that they can trust you, that you're going to implement that same kind of philosophy into the, into the sports performance program. So that takes a little bit more you know, work ethic and, and sweat equity in that. But I, I know early in my career, like at Texas, I got into it with a with a track coach one time because I was coming in seven days a week with football, but then he wanted me to keep coming in seven days a week, you know, in the spring. And I told him, I said, Coach, we had a pretty big falling out. I was like, Coach, I'm not doing it. Yeah. He's like, well, let's go talk to your boss. And like, we went, we went up and talked to my boss and we had a nice little sit down. I was, I mean, I was pretty passionately heated they're like, hey, I'm not going to neglect my – I haven't seen my wife from August till December, January roughly. I need some time to – I'll take care of your team, but I respectfully I, – I've got to see my wife too. And I'm not going to – you know, and I end up calling him out a little bit. And uh, we ended up being really good friends, and, and uh, he ended up – you know, but at first, man, it was a clash. Like, he ended up respecting me for it, but I stood up to him, and, and I didn't – you know, I didn't go off on him or anything, but I just was, as a young coach, I was very passionate. Like, no, I'm not going to just neglect my wife. And we found some middle ground to work with his team. But I think you, so I think you got to learn how to professionally and respectfully set down boundaries. I think uh, the, the other last point to this, I'll say, coach, is, you know, whatever you start to give coaches, they're going to expect that. Yeah. So if you just jump in the boat and like you're at every, warm up, you're at every practice, you're at every, you know, uh, video session and like you're at every game. They're going to be like, where have you been? If you miss something like you, it's going to be, they're going to be like, dude, you're, you're always here. Like why? So I personally have on purpose have some times where you're not, you're not there. You're not available so that it's not. And then you can, I mean, you can give them a legitimate reason why you're not there you don't have to be like, well, I was just chilling. You know, I was at the, I was on the boat at the lake, <laughs> yeah. fish, bass fishing. Like, I don't think that's appropriate or, or or professional. But I do think, you know, you you need to 
just like they schedule stuff for their teams, you need to have, you need to make sure you're taking time out for you and your family. And that may be, Hey, this week, like it happened, it happened yesterday. My, um, my young, old, youngest daughter had a, a volleyball tournament and my volleyball team played yesterday and I didn't make the match. I made the one the day before, but I didn't make yesterday's. Mm. And so I coach, I just try to do the very best I can to show them that they, they they're just very important to me, but I also got to keep it in perspective. Like, you know, my family's even more important. So I can't just toss them out to the wolves just because I'm trying to make this head coach happy all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, kind of setting that expectation early. And I think, yeah. even like you said, if you, if you are working with a new coach that takes time to get familiar with each other and, and you, I think you use the proper term sweat equity, right? It just takes a little more work. But I also think in your example with, with the track coach um, in your early days at Texas, the coach will respect you if what you're standing up for makes sense in my right. opinion, right? You know, if it, if you don't present a logical argument, right. Or a logical point, then sure. I'm sure you can run into problems, but I, th- I know what I, what I ran into as a young coach was that I was always just afraid to kind of bring that up. Right. Because I, I, I assumed that they weren't going to like to hear it. Right. And now I'm working with some older athletes and it's a much different setting. But for example, if, you know, we usually open the gym on Saturdays in season, right? But if we just have one athlete and I say, hey, do you mind coming in on Friday? I know we're going to kind of squeeze maybe two lifts, three lifts in a row, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But if you're the only one on Saturday. So if you come in on Friday, I can have the weekend with my wife. And almost every time something like that comes up, they're like, yeah, that's fine. No worries at all. Right. And so it's one of those things I think as a young coach, people are afraid to ask because again, you want to be the biggest resource possible. But in my experience, when you do ask, if you present a, a good logical argument with it, there's almost never a problem, right? And there's that mutual respect there. Um, and hopefully that happens more times than not. But I, I, I really enjoy hearing that in your perspective. Um, because like I said, there's a trend in strength and conditioning where they're being um, strength coaches are more involved, right? They're more involved in travel and in practice. And that's a great thing professionally, but we also want to make sure that in order to make the sustainable career, it can still be positive personally, right? Yeah, um, yeah, you, yeah you got to watch it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, earlier you brought up, it was Bill McCartney, right? From Colorado? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, you obviously in Texas, I'm sure you had several coaches, several directors that you worked for. So as you were coming up as a young strength coach and you were, you were having, you know, your family, your first daughter, and then your family started to grow, who were some mentors or who were some uh, kind of support system people for you that you leaned on to ask questions, to learn from about what it takes to manage work and, and family life? Yeah, I think early on, I was fortunate um, when I was at Colorado, the guy that he's still like one of my best friends today. Um he works at Florida State. He's the director for uh, women's basketball there. Dave Pleddle. Uh, we worked together. So he was – we, we kind of shared very similar – we're similar in age. He's a little older than I am, but we're similar in age. Um, him and his wife, Krista, just incredible, just incredible couple, really valued family, right? Like loved coaching, passionately loved coaching and, and, and changing lives, but – really cared about their family. And so I think that helped me early on, me and Karen, to, to really spend quality time with them in the weight room, obviously, but then hotel rooms, traveling, doing trips together. Uh, I think that that really helped us early on as, as a young couple. Um, and I think just over the years, you know, we um, 
we're definitely a family of, of faith. And so we've been, we've been very fortunate in our years and just church involvement to be around some highly, highly quality uh, families to see them, you know, kind of navigate, manage some of that stuff, you know. Um, I think, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I've seen, um, I think sometimes seeing the negative fallout from families that where it doesn't work well, I think that's, I think those are lessons you can learn from too, not in a judgmental way in any way, but just like, hey, whoa, like, huh. What happened with that family right there? And like, what can I do to make sure that our family stays intact, we stay strong, and we can still be successful in this this career path and profession that we love? So, so I think again, Dave would be one. Dave and Krista, and then over the years, again, I just talked to him last week. We still stay in contact, he, even though we we haven't been together and worked together in twenty years. But I think a guy like him, and then just different families in our church have poured into us and mentored us over the years in different ways has made a huge impact. So well, I'll say this too. I think, uh, coach, we, I don't understand this part, but about we like to coach others, but the, we don't always like to get coached, hmm. you know? Yeah. And, um, oh, you, you like telling people what to do, but you don't like people to tell you what to do. Oh, you like to point out other people's weaknesses in their life physically and mentally and psychologically, but you've got a problem in your own personal life that you don't want to get help on. Yeah. So I don't know that that's, I think that's a little bit of hypocritical. I think, I think if you're going to be a really good coach, you need to be open to being coached yourself. And I think that's hard for a lot of coaches mm-hmm. um, to, you know, have feedback. Well, it's like that quote, you know, we can put a man on the moon, but you can't see the back of your neck. Right. And so you can't, <laughs> You, you you can't see possibly see what's going on in your own life that you don't you need help with you know so I think just having families around you and other I think as a husband having other strong men around you that can speak into your life and sharpen you a little bit in those areas is is critical if you're going to make it through this deal and if, if you don't have it I just don't know how I just don't know how you're going to make it so uh, that's a very very good point and when how old were you when you learned that when, when you be, did become more comfortable getting coached? Cause I feel like obviously that probably evolves through time, right. And it probably evolves as you have more kids and become more of a veteran. Um, it's usually in, in my experience, it's usually a lot of the younger coaches that are very uh, afraid to be vulnerable. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So when did you start to learn that and kind of uh, open yourself or to, to more, I guess, critical feedback or even just asking people like, Hey, how do you do this? <laughs> you know, I yeah. need some help. <clears throat> I mean, I think it starts, you know, at just a very fundamental level of when you, when you start having trouble in your marriage, my question is why are you having trouble? Mm-hmm. Right. You're having trouble. Well, it's her fault. Oh yeah. I'm sure it's all her fault. It's not never the guy's fault. Right. And so I think, um, just deductive reasoning of like, okay, this, this marriage thing's not going the way I planned. Um, if I don't, if I don't make some changes, it's going to get worse, you know? So I think there's got to be a level of uh, not only self-awareness, but humility. And I think just a, just a deep desire to like, Hey, how can we make this better? How can we make this stronger? How can we fix this? You know? And it's kind of like, I got this like idea one time, and I, I don't know if I read it in a book. I think I kind of kind of had this 
thought, I was like, you know what? Um, your car needs to be tuned up once a year. Why, why, why would your marriage be any different? It needs to tune up. You know, I mean, you're, you're two differently wired human beings. You think differently, you talk differently, you look different. You, you know, you act, you, you have some different likes, different dislikes. Uh, you have dis disagreements, conflict, but like, what can you do? You know, if, if your, if your car goes in to get spark plugs changed, oil filter, air filter, oil change, transmission fluid change, like all this stuff has to be changed out just so that it's going to keep running and long for, preserve it for a long time. Then, you know, I had this idea like, Hey, I need to, I need to have a marriage tune up. So we, you know, we started early on coach. We'll do, you know, every few years we'll do a, we'll do a marriage retreat where we go through a curriculum together or something with other couples. And, and man, those, those moments honestly have, have been game changers for our relationship because it just kind of re-strengthens everything. It refreshes it. it. It allows you to sit down and have conversation across the table with your wife of areas and weaknesses that you need to work on and maybe vice versa for her. And if it's a two-way conversation, there's more openness and vulnerability. And there's usually more strength that, that will make you stronger because you're saying to her, like, look, hey, I love you so much. I'm going to make some changes. On my, I'm going to work on me to make us better. And versus just putting it always on her, you know, so I think that's a reciprocal kind of thing, you know, what was the, the, you know, people always say, you know, in marriage, you, I forget how it's said, but like you go, a lot of people get married, they go into a marriage trying to get something from somebody, right? I expect to get this from you, but that it's not going to happen. You're going to 100% be disappointed, right? And so you got to go into that marriage, not thinking, what am I going to get out of this marriage? But you got to go into that marriage thinking, what, about, what am I going to give into this marriage? And so that's a different mindset and mentality. And so I think just tweaking that a little bit uh, helps kind of navigate some of those, those tough seasons. That's, that's incredible. Cause a, a lot of times, you know, on this podcast specifically, right. I talk to people about how they manage coaching and then being a dad, right. Or being a mom and taking care of their kids. But obviously a huge part of all of this is the marriage, right. Is that relationship and how you're maintaining the relationship uh, with your spouse. Um, and I remember talking to Bo uh, Sandoval about that on the last episode, but I, I agree. I, th I think it's absolutely vital that you take that time and, and you have that and you put that emotional energy into that relationship as well and not just the kids. But, you know, you mentioned uh, going on a, a kind of a marriage retreat every few years. What are some of maybe the smaller things that you may do, you know, once a month, right. Or, or once, you know, every three or four months, you know, uh, in order to maintain the strength of that marriage. And I'm sure it's, it's probably different now that your kids are older. Um, you know, what did that look like when your kids, you know, we, we talked before the podcast, before we started recording and you had three kids in diapers at one time, right? So I, 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 a situation like that, how the heck do you, how do you, how do you take time away from that? Right. As a, as a wife and a husband. So, um, what does that look like for you and your wife throughout the years? I think the, the number one key, key principle is like there was a book years ago that that I picked up. It was called After Every Wedding Comes a Marriage. And I think, you know, I think you know, just because you have a ceremony, you put on rings, you're not married yet, really. Uh, you're, you're building a marriage. It's not you're not it's not there so I think you've got to continue to pursue and date your wife, right? I think that as a husband, you do, and, and vice versa. The, 
you know, the, your wife needs to still pursue you. And I think men tend to be, you know, we tend to be like, um, we like challenges. Mm-hmm. And so, man, once you chase your girl and you win her over and you capture her, like, I'm good. You think, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm good. I, I love you, babe. You know, I love you. But no, she doesn't know you love you, that you love her still. And so I think, I think there's got to be this, you know, there's there's got to be a romantic piece in you as a man that you've got to continue to pursue and, and seek your wife. You know, pr- practically speaking, what I mean by that is, you know, we we still go on date nights. Um, I think it happened recently um, I with this whole COVID stuff. And we had some staff out that actually you know, I got the, the virus. And so we, had, I was, I was back to working. Like I just told you, I was working 16 hour days there for a little bit, just covering bases, you know? And so I wasn't seeing my wife and I could feel it. I could feel that we were being, we were disconnected. Uh, I could feel myself getting a little short and, and impatient and just kind of get grumpy and everyone was tired. Um, and when you get like that, usually like for me personally, things my wife will say to me will kind of like rub me the wrong way, which normally it wouldn't. Yeah. And so that's usually my little red lights going off. Like you need to, y'all need to go just spend some time and catch up, you know? And so we did, we ended up scheduling a dinner and when I had some dinner and drinks one night and man, it coach that right there. I mean, it fixes so much just and the conversation is so casual and we're talking about this and that, and I'm listening to her. She's listening to me. But my tank, it just feels so full, yeah. you know, when I when I come out of that and I just feel so alive again because I've connected with my best friend. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've shared frustrations and hurts or things we're dealing with. And, you know, just the connection just becomes closer again. And, you know, I'll say this. I think a good analogy, I love, I love metaphors and forget where I got this from. But, you know, with your wife, you know, if first and foremost – Dudes are always going to screw up. That's just the nature of a dude. Uh, we just, we can't help it, coach. We just knuckleheads. Part of the time, we don't, we're just not the sharpest tooth on the saw, as we say in Tennessee. Um, so we're going to mess up, but here's how it works with women, with your beautiful wife, right? If you will spend time, they have an emotional bank account. And every time you spend time with them, you're just putting a deposit in that account. Every time you screw up, you you make a withdrawal from that account because it hurts her, right? And so, man, if you don't keep putting time into that, then pretty soon you start withdrawing. There's nothing, no, there's nothing in there. It becomes bankrupt. Yeah. And again, you just you fall apart as a. And so I think that's the challenge. Um, and I always tell my wife, you know, when you talk about challenges and you know, what I'm telling you right now, one day me and my, you know, this frustration of just trying to connect, I was like, babe, I'm putting all my, 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 uh, all my meetings on my calendar. You got all your meetings on your calendar. I said, but when are we going to put us on our calendar? Mm. Like we've got everybody else. We got the kids. I got my job. We got this responsibility, this person, we've got everybody on the calendar. But I said, you know what? If we don't put us on the calendar, none of this works on the calendar. And so sometimes, you know, the the, the thing you've got to do if if your marriage is really struggling and you're having a hard, like, look at your calendar. Like, how often do you schedule time on the calendar for you and your wife? Because if you don't put that on there, 
then the counter doesn't work. It just doesn't. And so I think that's something you've always got to evaluate in any season of your marriage is like, dude, like what's the time you're carving out for each other to make your marriage strong. So got to do that. That's, that's incredible to hear. And those are all unbelievably good points, you know, and and my wife and I have been married for almost three years now and we're going to have our first kid. So obviously hearing stuff like that is, is, is it's, it's incredible. And, um, you know, just with the busy work lives that we have, we still try to do a date night, you know, once a week. And the goal is to stay consistent with that. Right. So I really, really like to hear that. And I appreciate that. Now, whenever you have four daughters too, how important is that for you to get individual time with each one there, right? And kind of have that individual father-daughter relationship. And what does that look like for you uh, throughout the years? You know, whether it be going to one one girl's game, right? And then trying to get to the next, maybe the next day or the next week, or how has that looked, um, you creating those individual father-daughter relationships with all four of your kids? I mean, it's another, uh, just a great question. I'll have to speak up front be like, I think that's probably the part where I struggle the most, you know, mm-hmm. um, I haven't done the best job in that. I can't say that. Uh, I will say this. I will say that, you know, we do get some one-on-one time, but it's typically because we've got a, you know, a tournament in Houston or Dallas, and then I'll be on that trip with them. So those have been more just, you know, attending events. Um, I think as a dad, you know, one thing early on that I've just made a commitment to, and I've, I've done a, feel like I've done a pretty decent job of just not miss anything that they, you know, if they're playing a game or they have an award ceremony or they're getting recognized. Like I'm there in the stands cheering them on and celebrating them and give them a big hug and just tell them how proud I am of them. Uh, so I would say those are the big things. Um, you know, I think we've done the daddy daughter date nights. I think those work really well if you can schedule them. Um, as my kids have gotten older, I think that's easy to do when they're younger. I think it's harder to do when they get older because they got so much stuff going on. And then my job's been, you know, busier too. So as they've gotten older, I've not had that, that one-on-one time with each one of them. Uh, so you, you almost have to, I think you have to kind of capture those moments for me, at least, uh, when they just kind of, they just naturally happen organically, you know, right now, again, like I said, early on, we, we had more of those moments just because we could do that when they were younger, but it's been harder as they've gotten older. Yeah. They, when they get older, man, especially four girls, dude, they got more social life than I got. So I don't, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with it half the time. So, yeah. but um, that's the, again, that's just an area I think coach where I've not honestly haven't done the best job, but uh, it's something that um, I've tried, I've tried to do it over the years, but just haven't always been consistent. Yeah, well, I think that I think that means a lot too, because you said you know it takes self awareness and a little bit of humility to know where you can get better. And for you to say, yeah, you know, I could, you know, haven't haven't done a decent mm-hmm. job at that and can get better. I think that's actually a huge step in that. Now, I, I want to get into a couple of personal questions before as we kind of approach the one hour mark here, um, or sorry, professional questions. Um, when you know you being at Texas for twenty three years, right, and and having a, a big family there, four daughters. Now being the director, that's a very rare thing in this industry, right? Is being at one location for 23 years. Usually coaches jump around, whether due to promotions or whether due to just wanting a change of scenery, um, whether due to firings, honestly, uh, in this profession that happens, you know, quite frequently as well. 
So I want to talk to you about kind of the importance of staying power, right? And, and how you have evolved and adapted throughout your 23 years at Texas, um, based on the nature of the change in college athletics and the change in strength and conditioning. How has that evolution looked? Because obviously it, it helps a lot whenever you have a big family, right? Is to have that staying power and be able to stay in one location. But for you, what does that look like for you through the 23 years? And what have you learned about the profession through those 23 years? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a very, very good question. And one that's probably got a lot of depth to it. I think I would say this with, I would say, first and foremost, I never planned on being in Texas for this long. <laughs> so let me say that I was like, I'm on. I was a young coach. I was like, I'm going to get three or four years in here and I'm out. I'm on to my next gig, you know, and um, there are seasons here at Texas where, you know, I really hit a ceiling and was very, very frustrated, um, discouraged, disheartened, ready to give up and just do something different. And so there's, there's been times I've considered throwing in the towel, you know, um, mostly because, you know, in our profession, the, the, the pay, the pay ceiling is very low. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you want to, when you, when you work so hard, man, and you, 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 put, you give so much of your life for something you enjoy, you got, you still need to make a good living. And I just don't, you know, looking back, I don't think I was, I was always too afraid. My wife would be on me a lot, but I think you need to fight for your value as a coach. I think you need to ask for more money. You need to fight, be an advocate for the job you do. I don't care if you're a female. I don't care if you're a male working with football or a non-revenue sport. I just don't see, you know, I think there's a huge discrepancy in what they're paying the top directors like in football and some of the guys like yourself and myself. Like you're telling me those guys add more value to the athletes than what we do. I just don't agree with that. Yeah. And so, um, but I understand that's the, the lay of the land right now, but I just don't agree. I think everybody, I think that our jobs, I think now, and I'm talking about uh, sports medicine too. I think they are way undervalued as well. Um, and uh, so I think for staying power, um, I never plan on being at Texas that long. So I think the biggest thing you've got to think about is career longevity is the grass is not always greener. Uh, all good, all money is not good money. Just because you get more money over there and a better title does not mean you're going to be happier. I would say this, who are you going to work with, right? So currently today, I think, who am I going to spend time with day in and day out for hours? Like really evaluate who's your boss and supervisor. Who are the athletes and coaches you're going to be working with? Like, what if you get more money, a bigger title and more influence, but you're miserable? Yeah. Oh, now that's better. Uh, so I don't, I just don't think, and I think Texas has been a place that uh, has provided not only a, a lot of support, but a lot of just, just satisfaction and fulfillment in a career that I love. And so I have to give a lot of credit to our administration at Texas and uh, staff and coaches I've worked with who have really been very supportive of me and very uh, helpful and just fighting for me to get better so it's not just the me, me, me. It's definitely, you know, I'm working at a great place. Um, I think what I've had to do along the way, though, 
I think you got to be intentional about finding different ways to add value and create value in the job you have. Um, you know, one thing I did early on was I started our internship program years ago. I don't lead it anymore, but I started that and there was never one before. So I kind of created curriculum there. When I did that coach, I started taking different managerial leadership courses that nobody was making me take. I just, I said, you know what? I want to figure out how can I make myself better so that I can have more value where I had to have two, I had two thoughts. One, either they're going to, at some point, pay me the money I need here, I deserve, right, for the job that I do, or if they don't, I'm going to go get a better job somewhere else. And so that was my mentality of, I'm going to work on me and get so good at me that at some point, somebody's going to pay me for, for, the, for the great job that I do, versus sitting around crying tears and letting it fall in my beer, like, oh, this place treats me bad, and they, they pick on the favorites and, you know, they're just, you know, they always, they always overlook me. I'm always the little, the guy that nobody like. No, I mean, that's, and then you're bitter. You don't do a good job with the coaches and teams you have. And now you're stuck in a career path that you had no business getting stuck in versus taking ownership and start, start create, start creating more value, start doing more than expected of you. Right. And so I would little things like I, I did the internship. I, I asked, I went to my boss when I got promoted, I said, Hey, I want to lead our camps and clinics. And so he gave me that. And so I took that over and did a great job of that. And then, you know, about seven, eight years ago, I wanted to have a performance clinic. So I went to our administration and I fought for that. And man, I got that going and that brought in more, you know, people to network with and opened up more doors. And so you start doing you start taking these little bitty keys, sticking them in the door, and they open up these huge doors of opportunity you would never even imagine. But if you don't do the work and put in, have the creativity and stretch yourself and put yourself in uncomfortable situations, then your job, you're going to hit this ceiling, right? And you're going to get burnt out, frustrated, and you're going to be like, why am I stuck in this job? You know. And so I think you've got to be so creative and so um, strategic and finding ways to kind of reinvent yourself and rebrand yourself in the job you do so that you can create more lanes to run in so that when more opportunities come in, you're ready to go. And I say it like this, you know, don't, don't, uh, it's called the positional myth. They say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll become a leader when that position opens. Like, no, you will never be a leader, become the leader that you want for that position. And then that window, when that window comes, you'll be ready for it. And so that's, so you've got to think futuristic. You've got to think um, planning for, for what's coming down the pipe. Again, last point I'll make is this, this, this is a true story. What I'm about to tell you, 2007, I get promoted from basically a bottom of the barrel assistant to the top assistant for football. They didn't, it didn't change my title back. They didn't have all these fancy titles they got today. It's kind of gotten out of hand in my opinion, but um, <laughs> so I get promoted. My salary ends up being a fraction of what they told me they were going to give me. They told me one thing and it was really, wasn't necessarily text. It was my supervisor miscommunicated on some stuff and I was struggling coach. I was married and I had at the time, this was what, 2007, we had four kids. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't pay the bills. So I really needed that promotion. Yeah. 
you know, and so I didn't get it. I, they gave me the promo, gave me a promotion, but it wasn't what I needed to take care of my family. Coach, I was devastated for for two full weeks. I walked around like a little puppy with my tail between my legs, lips stuck out, feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, dude, this is I can't keep working like this. I either need to get over myself and go back to work or I need to do something else. And so I'm, that's where I got that mindset from. I just shared with you. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I need to work on me. I need to work on myself harder than I do my job. So I started studying, reading, taking classes, asking if I can go to this conference, this meet with this mentor, having coffee with this guy. And I just started like just learning. And so here's what that did though. I didn't know what that was happening, but coach, what I ended up doing, I started hanging out with different administrators in our departments, different departments, getting outside those four walls of the weight room. And I started building relations with other people. I didn't know this was coming, but 2010, they had been talking about, this is three years later, they end up, uh, we're going to change the format and structure of this department, and we need a director of Olympic sports. We want you to be the guy if you want it, but if you don't, we're going to open it up and interview for it. Coach, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. yeah. And so I got ready before that position came. And so you can't, you can't just sit around and wait for somebody to come hand you a position you need to go to work and sharpen your axe and sharpen your, get your butt in gear and get ready for the position that hasn't been created yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what, how it worked out for me. And so I'm so glad. So that disappointment was actually a huge motivator to get my butt in gear. And so I think that's, what's going to happen a lot with a lot of people. So we'll see. Yeah, 100%. I think you bring up a good point of, of you have to do the work on the front end and then that will create change. You can't wait yeah. for the change to then open the opportunity for more work or for different responsibilities. You got to take on those responsibilities, almost volunteer for them, right? Ask for them. Hey, can I do that? Right. Can I, like you said, can I be in charge of the internship program? Right. For a, for a young coach nowadays, that's a huge opportunity for them. Right. right. Go into and right and Okay. Be a great strength coach and then see where you can add administrative value. Right. And I think that you yeah. brought up another good point in that explanation of you have to get outside of the walls of the weight room. Right. You have to. And I think one thing in strength and condition that we always talk about is we need to have more of a seat at the table, right? When it comes to administration, but you're not going to get that seat at the table if you don't leave the weight room, right? If you stay at the current table that you're sitting at, right? So I think that's a really, really good point. And I want to dive into that with you of as you've been a director through Texas, how has that administrative value changed for you? Um, you know, like you said, back in 2007, between seven and 10, you were talking to all these different administrators, right? Okay. And now between 10 and 21, what has that looked like for you in terms of adding more administrative value to the department? Because like we talked about staying power, right? You'll increase your staying power when you provide multiple levels of value to the department right? Not just strength and conditioning, right? Not even just the internship program, but multiple levels of value. So what does that look like for you? Uh, and how have you gone about, just like you said, creating those avenues for you to provide that value? Yeah, I think on a, I think it's a multiple level thing. I think that number one is, is you know, as you, the longer you stay in the career, well, I'll even say it like this, even if you're a younger extreme coach, and you're overseeing a mentor, like an internship program, I, you need to learn how to mentor and coach people. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that's a whole different, I think the, the older I get, the more I do it, then that's, you know, that's kind of been my kind of, you know, 
mission is to mentor and develop younger coaches underneath me that can do a better job than I can do. Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like is a parent, right? You're about, you're, you're, you're about to be a parent, right? How old is your, your child about to? Oh, you know, yeah, we're, we're expecting in June. Yeah. So you think about as a dad, boy or girl, boy, you don't, you're not going to be like, as your boy gets older, you're going to, you're not going to be like, you know what? I don't want him to do as good as me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I want him to be worse than me. You don't think like that as a parent, at least if you're healthy, you don't. Good parent. <laughs> so as a director, you don't think like that for the coaches under you. Like, you know what? I want them to be worse than me. Yeah. I, I don't want them to be better than me. You know, you think, what can I do to lift them higher and get to help them get to that next place? And so I think that's, that's something that takes time um, to have that kind of heart for your, for your staff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one. I think secondly, um, you know, the landscape's changed in how we do our jobs. There's these huge, you know, these, these bigger organizations, there's performance teams around every team. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you become part of a team, like that, it's not, it's no longer, it's no longer like back when I first got into it, like a, am the boss top down approach. No, it's about when we come into this room, I'm really good at what I do. You're really good. Let's work together and let's share ideas to make each other better. And so as an administrator, you come into this room and think, Hey, let's pull together on this. Let's be really, really special. And I think that's, that takes, uh, you know, that level of humility and I think keeping keeping the main objective in the center point of, of what you're trying to do, and that is that the athlete's performance and athlete's best interest, not my agenda yeah. or what my philosophy. Oh, I'm I know the only way to do this, right? Because I think because I do I used to believe early on when you're when you're working with people that you've never worked with, you got to give more than you take. Yeah. Um, especially if they don't if they don't like how you do things. So you may need to back up a step as an administrator, listen. And I think that's, you know, a skill that, that coaches cannot develop too much is like, how do you really hear what somebody's saying? How do you really learn to listen when somebody's communicating to you face to face? Like, do you really hear what they're saying to you? Or do you, do you just kind of, is it like you've already kind of formulated the answer in your own head? You, you just kind of like went right by you, you know? Yeah. So I think again, just being uh, developing younger coaches, mentoring them for, for their career path. And I think secondly, just, the, to making teams coming into a team environment and realizing like, Hey, what, how do I need to adapt and flex on this performance team versus the other one with that team to make this team successful? Like that one is, yeah. and you may need to kind of change and play a little different role with this one. You do that one. That's okay. That's what the great, the best leaders do. That's the art of leadership. I'm going to play the role you need me to play on this performance team so that we can go win this thing. And I think that's, you know, that's putting aside your ego, that's putting aside your agenda and your thought processes like, I know how to do this the right way and, and being like, hey, let's be more. It's this quote like I love. It says what we need. We don't need to find ways to compete against each other. We need to find ways to complete each other. And I think that's that's kind of what as an administrator, you got to think like that. I like that quote a lot. I, I really do. Um Last question for you, Donnie, and kind of going off of that, uh, what young coaches that like myself that are going to be dads, um, you know, maybe they just had their first kid, maybe they're expecting their first kid, or maybe they're just a young coach with maybe, you know, two or three kids already, right? 
with with that, you know, we've talked a lot about um, your staying power at Texas, right? What you've done, how you've evolved, how you how you've found ways to add value. But for a young coach, what is the primary piece of advice that you would give to make strength and conditioning a more sustainable profession when it comes to balancing? Again, not work family balance or work life balance, but more of uh, just making a sustainable profession long term. I've kind of mentioned some of that throughout this talk, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to be mean here when I say this or crude in any way, but um, I think for, for any, if it's a young coach, male or female, I really believe that you've got to have the backing and full support of your spouse. If you're going to do this for a profession. Mm-hmm. That's if you want that marriage to, to last. So I think that's fundamental and foundational. And I'll say it like this. And again, I'm not trying to be mean, but not everybody can be married to a strength coach. It's not, you know, whether you're a, a female and, the, and the, the male is going to be married to you or whatever. If it's, you know, a man married a woman, like I remember Years ago, one of my teammates at Georgia, he, he was a doctor and he ended up getting married and she thought she wanted to marry a doctor. Well, guess what? He was never home. Mm-hmm. And so the marriage didn't last because guess what? He wasn't ever home. Yeah. So I think it takes it takes a very special. I think the, 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 the spouse, the wife or the husband needs to know what they're kind of getting into that, you know, initially it's going to be some long hours. It's going to be, you know, but I think. With that in mind, if you can find that, that the right person, because um, because here's the thing, like like I said about Bill McCartney, if you and your wife are not in agreement, you're not going to be a good coach. Yeah, um, you're going to be go to work frustrated. You're going to go to work um, dissatisfied. There's going to be you're not going to have peace at home. You're, you're not going to have a safety place. You're going to probably pour yourself into your work and become more of a workaholic. So for you personally, it's not going to be better. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be better for your, your work um, colleagues because they're, they're not going to be getting the best of you. So again, I think you got to go, you got to go back to home base and have that conversation and be like, Hey, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. This is my plan. Let's, let's go get it. And if she's on board with it, you, you'll be fine because you, it's not a it's not an easy career path, and you're going to have to go through the highs and lows. That's just part of the deal, dude. When you sign up to be a strength and conditioning coach, it's not for the weak or the timid. And so, I remember having a conversation with a young lady. She was an intern at she was a paid intern at Texas years ago, and I I tried to I tried like crazy, coach, to dissuade her from being a strength coach. I go, man, you're not going to get paid much. You, if you don't win, they're going to blame you. You're going to have coaches crawling down your neck. I said, I, if I were you, I would find something else to do. And I, I mean, I was not trying to be mean. I was just being blunt with her. And I love my job, you know. And uh, she ended up being a strength coach. She didn't listen to me. She was a good <laughs> strength coach too, yeah. uh, which I'm glad she didn't. But, again, I think you just got to know that the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and that you're, you got to find a spouse, your, your helpmate, or whatever you want to call them, has got your back, you know, no matter what. Good times, bad times, highs and lows, getting fired, getting let go, getting promoted, you know, getting stretched in that you guys are going to stick through that. And so 
But I do believe, so my caveat to that is, once you kind of build your career and kind of earn some stripes, so to speak, start looking for different avenues where you can get some of that time back and you can have some autonomy in how you kind of structure your job. You know, that was the big kind of attractive thing with, with uh, being an Olympic sport director. When they offered me the job, they said, you can have that job or you have to be with football. You can have both. So, and I really, the, the big attractor of Olympic sports was I was going to have a lot more autonomy in my schedule, yeah. which means I can see my family more when I want to. I can develop myself professionally. I'm going to have more experiences and opportunities than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So at some point, as a young coach, work your butt off, pay that price early on, but work towards a place where you can have autonomy and have more. You can kind of almost write your own um, bio, so to speak, on kind of what career. And you can kind of develop yourself into areas that you can pursue jobs to get you in better positions where you can kind of write your own ticket, so to speak. And so the, the profession's growing. It's getting there's it's getting where there's different jobs out there that, that it's not, you know, you don't have to be crazy working 16 hours a day. It's getting better. So I think it is at least. Yeah, 100%. That's something that Bo uh, brought up on the last episode of, you know, there's never been more opportunities to be a strength and conditioning coach. So, so don't pigeonhole yourself to thinking that you have to work a job for low salary and, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, right? It's just not like that anymore. So there's definitely a lot of other options out there. So, well, coach, yeah. oh, go ahead. I say, I, I mean, I think early on again, I think, I just don't think there's any way around it when you first start out. I think you got to put the time in mm-hmm. just until you can build a resume where, where people look at that going, oh man, this person's good. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to, you've got to have that. You've got to have that um, track record built in place that speaks for itself. So that track record will now open up more lanes of opportunity to pursue. But until you build that, it's hard to get into these other lanes. So there, you can't put the cart before the horse. So that's the only thing I had to add. Yeah, 100%. Awesome, Coach. Well, Coach Donnie Mabe, thank you so much for joining me today on the Dad Strength Podcast. I really appreciate the time. And it's a real pleasure to speak to a veteran strength coach like you. And you've been in the profession for a long time, uh, obviously having four daughters. You've been through mm-hmm. the ringer as a parent. So I really appreciate you sharing your stories and your and experiences today. No, it's my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And uh, everybody listen, uh, hang on, baby. Just keep working. And Stay together as a family. You'll get to a better place. But, Coach, thank you for the opportunity. It's really good to, to visit with you as well. Awesome. Thank you.